Todd and Rob in the afternoon. Hey, afternoon delight. With Todd and Rob. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we are. New media show back at you. One week away from podcast movement. Rob, how are you? I'm doing terrific, Todd. It's great to be uh, back doing the show. There's lots of lots of things happening in the medium, and so it's good to always catch up at least once a week here. <laughs> yeah, it is. And today we have a guest, so I don't know if you want to do. You might as well do the honors. I'm the give me the give me the four one one on our guest today. Yeah, well, we're lucky to have uh, Stephanie Ackerlean is I think is the <laughs> correct pronunciation, but. Um, She's a uh, kind of a podcast marketing audience development expert, and she actually has been putting her her uh, skills to work for a very large podcast that's um, on YouTube uh, called The Impact Theory. And she, she's also associated with the Great Pods folks as well. And but I thought it would be great to have Stephanie on to talk about kind of where we're at right now with um, audience marketing audience growth and the convergence um, based on the success that she's seen with the impact theory um, series that is such a big success on YouTube, but yet also a big success as a audio podcast. So Stephanie, welcome to the show. That's very, very rare. So first time I've ever heard of a show that's that positive on both sides. So Stephanie, welcome to the show. Yeah. And she's even doing Thank it from so the impact theory studios. It looks like so. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I'm at, uh, in the office today, so I got to take advantage of our wonderful setup. And thank you both for having me. I'm really excited to be here and be talking with you guys. Yeah, that's great. Todd, did you want to start off or do you want me? Well, I, I think I want, do we want to cover what's going on in the world or bring Stephanie well, in? Well, we on... could. We could. Uh, we could talk about uh, kind of some big news with uh, the acquisition uh, of Descript of the, um, of Squadcast, Squadcast folks. And what does that mean? Right. Todd, I mean, what does that merger mean to you about what's happening in the podcasting space? Well, it's curious because they had been quiet of recent and I, which, which which one, the Squadcast folks had been quiet. I'd had a couple emails out to them on some stuff and it was just like crickets, you know, I thought, Oh, something's going on. (laughs) So I kind of had this like suspicion maybe. Then they said, I saw the announcement at, uh, I don't know, saw some pre-announcement. They were going to do something live at on YouTube yesterday at 11. And I thought, "Uh uh-huh, they've gotten bought. And be honest with you, it's a great strategic move for, for Descript, I think it's a good fit. Uh, congratulations to the Squadcast folks for I don't know what kind of exit they got. Um, you know, we were kind of waiting on them for more than a year to bring a, a certain product online that they had not, and and so maybe you know economically it just made sense to to get connected with Descript. But I think what's interesting from my standpoint is I've had a relationship with both Squadcast, Descript, and Riverside. And, um, the, we've had this integration with Descript. So people that use Descript can send their content straight over to our platform just with a push of a button. And we had tried to have gotten that. We, we did our code on our side with Riverside, but Riverside mm-hmm. never did their piece because they, after they got money around NAB time, they kind of had a big change in priorities. 
So I wonder now, mm-hmm. you know, and I was kind of talking with my team about it a little bit. It just makes sense. This is going to be a big, big impactor for a lot of those services because now you're going to be able for one price to have the ability to do a meeting or not a meeting, but a recording. Take mm-hmm. that recording, go right into the scripts, tools, and they've implemented all these AI editing features and then straight into a whole host of podcast hosts. Um, and even, I think they even put publish out to YouTube too. It's just now it, you know, it, it makes really, really good sense. And, uh, you know, I sent a little email over to the Riverside folks and I said, Hey, remember that integration? <laughs> um, you maybe, maybe now you want to d- consider doing that, um, because they're going to be behind the eight ball, you know, yeah. it's all about flow. It's all about production flow now. And mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, it makes, you know, congratulations to that team. I think it's, I think the script did a good buy there. Yeah, I think it is a an interesting merger from a couple different perspectives. I mean, if you start looking at the direction that Descript has been heading town, uh, getting more considered to be an AI platform and trying to um, get content into the platform has always been the thing that they've been working on too. Because I do know that even today, even before this merger, you could actually record video into script. Right, right. Um, so it was a capability that they had. Um, doing this merger of, just kind of adds to that. A lot right? of people didn't know that, that you could right. do video into script. They, mm-hmm. they didn't have, you know, in my friend, a couple of people might say, they do video? I'm like, yeah, they've done video for a while. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but, you know, they had implemented the AI editing tools that a lot of people are clamoring for. And while it's not perfect, um, it, it definitely puts them right there in the game. Uh, I, I just, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a good move. And, um, mm-hmm. so we'll see, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of other platforms out there trying to go alone. Riverside's trying to go alone. There's the, oh, Zencast. They're going alone. Yeah, and there's a stream yard. There's, right. you know. Well, StreamYard's yeah. a different platform. That's not, it's not the same as a, a Zencast and they don't have the streaming capabilities. So, um, you know, who, they are, who doesn't have the streaming Zencaster doesn't have oh, streaming. Oh, right, right. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Uh, so, you know, StreamYard is its own thing too with, you know, so again, um, and again, if you come out of StreamYard, you don't have any production tools. You just have a product that you have to still edit. So I think they've done a, you know, for a content creator standpoint, I think that it's a pretty brilliant move for people to do interview shows or have a co-host or it doesn't work in all instances, but yeah. we'll see. But it definitely streamlined the process of, of content creation. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So I yeah, think. So are you uh, using any of these tools, Stephanie, for, for your guys' workflow with the impact theory or other projects? We do. We, um, so our departments are split up a little bit. So our YouTube videos go to our production department and then we have our podcast department and we generally have different softwares depending on our workflow. But one of the ones that we do use between the both of us is Descript and we use it on the video side and the audio side. So, uh, integrating that or having Squadcast a part of that, uh, could open some things up for us because it is definitely part of our workflow right now. So seeing the possibilities and how you can streamline things, everything right now, you know, we use uh, 
AI software for generating some of our show notes. And it just takes a lot of time away from those tedious tasks so we can focus on the content. Yeah. Are you using it like a, like a Riverside or a Squadcast or a, or a, a, a StreamYard to actually record any of your video programs or is that done through separate software? Not at the moment. All of our interviews are done in person right now on set. So we haven't really explored too many options into the remote recording, but as we continue to grow, it's definitely something we're exploring. So as these tools continue to develop, definitely Mm -hmm. piques my interest into diving into what's going to be the best use for us for both production and podcasts. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of dive in. I know we haven't talked at great depth about this, this merger and what it means, but I, I'm just curious, you know, to really kind of dive in with you, Stephanie, and really understand, you know, what have been the keys to the the large growth and audience and success of the, the impact theory with Tom and just kind of pull that apart and just see how you guys have been able to leverage YouTube as well as audio podcasting to grow such a large audience for that show. I'm curious, though, which came first, YouTube or the podcast? They started about the same time, but YouTube came first. Um, So Mm -hmm. Tom and Lisa each have their own podcasts. Uh, Tom has Impact Theory. Lisa has Women of Impact. And they both started out on YouTube. They It's when Tom and Lisa uh, sold Quest Nutrition, which is where they came from, and then started Mm -hmm. Impact Theory. They were doing the YouTube videos at Quest called Inside Quest. And when they sold Quest and started Impact, they moved over and started Impact Theory and Women of Impact as it's a different direction, different type of conversations. Um, so that started first. And then they started the podcast six months to a year later. I think it was like six months later for Tom and a year later for Lisa. And that really gave them a benefit because they were still in the early ages of YouTube because it was 2016, which doesn't seem that early for YouTube, but for YouTube podcasts they were starting it out. And so what's been really beneficial to us is actually separating our strategies. So really diving into the audience analytics and we break it up. Our social audience demographics are one thing, our podcast demographics are another, and then our YouTube demographics are different. And the content performs differently the way that we, even if it's the same content, we pitch them differently or set them up differently on YouTube versus podcasts catering to those audiences. But And then tweaking. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, so you're on that. Right. Okay. So you're using different metadata in each of the platforms. I would imagine with the thumbnails on, on YouTube, that's a different presentation that you're doing um, versus the podcast too. But, but YouTube is YouTube channel. There has been no YouTube podcast until now. So I, it drives me crazy when people say they have a YouTube podcast because they don't have a podcast. They have a YouTube channel and they have a podcast. So, I know it's ambiguous to listeners, but me as an old school guy, it just drives me crazy. And I really, honestly, to be honest with you, I hate that Apple has, I mean, YouTube has hijacked that term, but that's, that's a whole nother, uh, that's a whole nother topic. (laughs) Yeah. So how have you guys kind of thought about your strategy on the video side and the audio side when it comes to YouTube podcasting? I mean, are you guys, is it really just a matter of taking all your, your, your YouTube videos and just labeling them as a podcast in in YouTube or do you see a difference there? It's something that we have just started to explore because we're not seeing, you know, the podcast page on YouTube isn't 
as supportive for creators as we want it to be. And mm -hmm. at the risk of damaging our current algorithm on our channels, you know, if we do mm -hmm. add it into the podcast playlist, will that mess with our current trajectory? Uh, so we don't know we is, lined up. is that the problem? Exactly. I mean, we just, yeah, we don't okay. know. So we haven't quite teetered into that yet, but still exploring it, excited to see what YouTube develops, but right now, not quite venturing into that. Yeah. I see even on your guys's YouTube channel, you guys don't call it a podcast. It's a show. Um, exactly. Yeah. So there's really not this differentiator. You guys don't necessarily call it a podcast on, on YouTube. And I'm even looking on your guys's website and it does, yeah, I don't see a way to subscribe to your show. So that's the challenge too. When you have, how are you guys managing that and getting people to, to subscribe for, on one platform or the other? Are you finding some people like to watch, some people want to listen? That's what we've kind of found on this show. Where's the dividing line? What's made people decide to go one way or the other? It's really interesting because the, the YouTubers that have been with Tom since the beginning have been with him. They're very loyal. They watch right. every video that comes out and we do set them up differently as the, as you said, the YouTube is more of a interview, you know, TV show. And we don't consider that the podcast, even though that's the content. Yeah. And then we take that and then produce it into the podcast. So we'll add more for the audio listener and keep them in consideration when we're just pulling the audio off of it. Um, you know, and it's things that you're paying attention to on the video you know, we'll cut things out of the audio of like, click the link on the screen, oh. or this is going to pop up and make sure that we cut that out so that it doesn't turn the audio listener off or have the audio cues for the ads because mm -hmm. you can see the visual cues, but we can't see them when we're listening. So it, it's little things like that that differentiate it. Yeah. So there's two separate shows makes sense. Essentially. Exactly. Is the content pretty and close? Just those cues are removed or I'm just kind of curious yeah, on how the, part, yeah. 99.9% .9 similar. It's just those little things that we do quality control for to make sure that it's that when you're listening to it on, on a podcast or from an RSS feed, that you don't feel like an afterthought that they just right. pulled the audio, that there was actually care put into it. One thing we've heard for a long, long time is, well, one thing I've always told this audience at least is, or even in my other show, and I've told podcasters, if you're going to do video, don't forget that your audience that's listening can't see what you're talking about. And so you have to be careful in, if you're going to describe something, make sure you describe it visually so the audio audience can hear it as well as the visual audience seeing it. Exactly. And so making sure when you're creating the content that you're taking care of both audiences is a fine line to, to walk. But I think if you can do it and can do it well, then it sets you you know, one step ahead. But I think that is something that a lot of people don't keep in mind when they're just adding the the video element to it and then pulling the audio is that that audio listener is just as important as the video listener or watcher. You know, viewer. you know, Rob, maybe therein lies the key because we've often wondered because not it's very rare to see a podcaster also be successful on YouTube and a YouTuber be successful on podcasts. So obviously, you guys are doing it. It exists but we've always wondered what that formula was to make it work, you know? Right. And um, it's, it's curious that you guys are almost making the audio is audio content typically longer or shorter than the video content. 
shorter. So the videos that go out on YouTube will be the full conversation. It'll be two or three hours and we'll split that up on the audio content into multiple parts to make it easier for the listener. We've also found that drop off. We, we've mm. increased our, our drop off rates and our completion rate by doing that. You know, anything over two hours was having a very low completion rate. So we snipped into yes. an hour and a half maximum and now we're in the seventies mm. and eighties uh, percent of completion. On the audio side. On the audio side. So but as the, you think about and, the distribution, Oh, go, go ahead and finish what you were saying. Stephanie, oh, I'm sorry. The other thing that we focus on is the timeliness of the content. So one of the uh, things that comes up, because since the algorithm on YouTube is run by Google, it really is a search engine. So topical, timely news events, we want to push those out really quickly. But in podcasts, um, for example, like the crash of Silicon Valley Bank, um, we, we know we got a call Friday afternoon that it crashed and Tom wanted to put a piece out on YouTube about it right away. And it was five o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, put it out on YouTube because that's where people go. They'll be searching for timely news. They want the information right now, but podcasts hold it off, hold it off until Monday and it will perform better. And it did. And it was a test. I was hoping that it would perform better because your audience isn't going to podcasts for that breaking news. Then you're going to get it the next day or you know the day after when there's a little bit more research and you have time to tell the story. So it's looking at your content that way as well. I, I'm yeah, no- I think uh, YouTube is a little bit more um, because of how the algorithm works. It's it's much much more timely, right, than the podcast is. Absolutely. So right. one thing I've noticed too is you guys on um, most really really successful YouTubers are putting out two shows a week. So I see you guys are looking about every seven days or so on your content on YouTube. That's at least what it looks like from your channel. Um, have you been thinking of going to more often to feed the YouTube algorithm or is just the one? Cause it is, it's, it's an animal. If you don't post, you're, you're kind of screwed over there, aren't you? Exactly. And actually it's very interesting that you mentioned that because this week we changed our release cadence. We were doing two episodes a week up to three on YouTube oh. and up to four on audio. Mm. Um, oh. But we because we were if tom was recording two three-hour interviews we'd break that up into two two-part episodes okay it's the same conversation it's Uh, just shorter episodes being put out more frequently right uh, okay yeah and i I picked off no no i'm still here yeah you're still here and i i'm just looking at the channel from the videos point and it looked like it was a pacing about every seven days so you were then actually putting out content more often just to feed the beast. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I think for an average podcaster, that's, that's hard. If you're going to push out that much content in the, you want to succeed on YouTube, you have to be, you have to be in there a couple of times a week at a minimum. Exactly. You- it's right now. It's like any other social platform. The more you post, the more the algorithm likes you. And since YouTube has the shorts, that's part of it as well. And clips mm. and, and really the benefit of working here at Impact Theory is diving into this YouTube side because yeah. they are so serious about it. You guys, how we dive into our analytics and the the suggestions are so powerful on YouTube, and that's something that we don't have in podcasts. You know, you get similar shows. Like if you listen to this, people also like this, but we don't have that same kind of uh, yeah. suggestion mechanism. Where if you listen to this topic, here's other videos or episodes similar. Yeah. Keep you on a roll for hours. There's no podcast 
you know, black hole. Like there's like, oh, you can tell people I went on a YouTube black hole for hours. Yeah. No, I think I've heard uh, Spotify talk about that uh, as a possibility with what they're doing. But but, but I think that I, mean, I think we'll the consumption see. is different. When you're sitting down mm-hmm. to watch YouTube, you have to sit down and watch. When you listen to podcasts, you you listen when you can because you can. You don't. You, you're not really tied. And YouTube, I stopped YouTube's midstream and and not watch them until late. The rest of them later as well. But um, so I think consumption is maybe the same, but I, I don't know. It's just, it, it is interesting that I have my podcast listening time and I have my, and those are two separate, two separate states in my day, I guess, for a better word. Absolutely. I think that the relationships with the shows and the hosts are different. When you watch a show on YouTube, you there's still this disconnect of watching the host interview someone else because their focus isn't on you and you right. can see it. But when you're listening to the podcast, it's a much more intimate relationship because you're usually doing something else. So they're with you while you're doing your daily tasks. And right. you you feel like they're talking more to you because you can't see if they're looking at you, looking at guests, wherever. And so you mm-hmm. develop a closer relationship. And so you have to foster them differently talking to versus talking at. Yeah, I've said that quite a bit here recently, talking to versus talking at. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's key because that's one thing I have to remind myself often, especially when I do my solo show, is I have a little stick note that's over here on my computer that says, you know, you're talking to an audience of one, but really it's not. You're talking to an audience of many. And I don't know if you can... It doesn't feel that same, doesn't feel the same on YouTube when you're, so how do you guys then, how do you change the, how, how do you make that, that Delta then in the audio content? That's got to be tricky because if you're mm-hmm. trying to make people think you're talking to them instead of at them, hmm, I'm curious on your process on that. It's. It is tricky. And I think Tom and Lisa do a really great job at balancing that because they're also used to speaking in front of crowds, Mm -hmm. but also comfortable with having these intimate conversations and pulling people in and helping them. And, you know, we have our courses that they teach. We have Impact Theory University where Tom is working, you know, one-on-one with students sometimes. So it's engaging with the different communities. And I think the way that you engage with them is also different because on YouTube, you know, you can put the comments up and maybe people will answer or maybe they won't, but it's very generic. But to reach out to a podcaster is different because the only place we really have to connect with them is, you know, Apple reviews or maybe some of the platforms, you know, Spotify, you can now do polls and questions, but otherwise it's, you know, tweeting or emailing or DMing and that's more intimate as well. Yeah. Hmm. Now, I was curious also about the distribution of consumption, right, between the two platforms. So as you think about, you know, you guys launched primarily on YouTube to begin with, and you guys had a certain tra- trajectory of audience development that happened there. And then when you launched the podcast uh, subsequently uh, at some point later, um, how did that impact the the growth trajectory of the show? And what is your current kind of would you say your distribution of consumption? Don't share hard numbers, but just share like percentages. Uh, well, the YouTube numbers are public, so if she shares percentages. We, well, we I mean, ba- we can back the numbers out. <laughs> well, as a percentage of the podcast, right? So we don't know what the podcast numbers are, mm. so we can't really factor a percentage on this. But if if so, let's say you're getting you know a hundred thousand views 
of the video side, what would you say would be the percentage consumption on the audio side as a comparison? It It's really hard. It depends because YouTube is, is hit or miss with the videos. One of the videos could pop off right. and get 3 million views. And then one could not do that well and get like 50,000 views. And is it usually like 20% on the audio or is it 50% it's, you think, or is yeah, it more? It's a, it's it's about 50 60% more um, or less our numbers grow. lower numbers on the podcast side lower numbers on the podcast side okay but we're definitely seeing growth you know really putting focus on the podcast this year because it was really um not a back burner, mm-hmm. but the focus was on YouTube. And so they, you know, brought me in, they brought in uh, Christina Fouth as our head of ad sales to really build out the podcast side and nurture it and grow it. And so we are seeing those numbers grow and get closer. Our followers are definitely not in the same ballpark. I mean, on YouTube, Tom has 311 million last time I checked. And on podcasts, it's, it's high, but it's not anywhere near that. So you're going to have the differentiation in that and it is lower on the podcast side, but still um, not as far as you would think. Have You know, what we've been dealing with here recently is, um, at least at my company, we had two podcasters that got deplatformed off YouTube and they are totally dismayed. They spent over no. over a year, uh, their conservative Christian content, and they got deplatformed. I don't know why. Their entire channel's taken down. Have you guys had any videos removed uh, or have you run into any of this issue with uh, with content being suppressed or anything like that? Not that I'm aware of, but it is something that is top of mind when we are releasing content. You know, there's some conversations that are happening, especially on Tom's channel that can be um, they're very thought provoking and there's can be two very divisive sides right. on it. And so brand safety right. is always top of mind when we're releasing that content. Um, especially because we have two separate audiences and one that will veer on one side of the conversation, and one that will veer on the other. Um, so we, uh, not that I'm aware of, we, we might have. And so I don't want to sure, sure. for the production side, but right. not in the last, uh, nine months that I've been here. Have you guys considered putting out the video version of your show as a true podcast to make it available in an RSS feed to make it subscribable? Have you guys thought of that at all? We actually have on the video. On the video, yeah. On the video, I said yes. Uh, it uh, was a big conversation yesterday. Of you know, we have thousands of episodes of Tommy's got over eleven hundred episodes. So this year, we actually archived anything before twenty twenty. And uh, we're releasing that on the script subscription side. Oh. So now that we have that content, but we also have that content as videos. And that has, you know, was released early 2016, 2017, that we could also archive on YouTube and put on an RSS feed. So we're exploring the best way to use the content, you know, uh, get paid for what you're already doing. Right. But, um, and then the new videos as well. It all depends on, like, as we're really leaning into the YouTube analytics and algorithm and system, and how does the suggestions work, and how do you get to be the next video that's suggested, and and what is your click through on that versus when you you know do a social media campaign? Yeah, it's a whole different language than growth in podcasting. It's two complete different beasts. Yeah, exactly. And then even moving into monetization, you know, that's a whole other thing about if podcast move to video the monetization side of it because youtube doesn't have dai yet 
So if you are a podcaster and you have ads set up, whether it's programmatic or DAI or brand deals, moving that into a system that doesn't support that, where is the line between the effort of putting it out there? How much do you put into the video uh, versus you're going to lose money on it, but you could build a bigger audience there. So there's still a lot to figure out, I think. Yeah. You would think then from a CPM standpoint on podcasting, it's obviously probably three or four times, maybe five times as higher as what you get off YouTube. So, you know, from a balance standpoint, you don't have to have as much volume on podcasting to make a heck of a lot more money than you do on YouTube. Now, based on, you know, you get up to a million views on YouTube, that's going to be a very profitable episode. But if you have a a episode on YouTube that only delivers 34,000 views, then there's a quite a disparity in the amount of income versus maybe what you can make in podcasts. So how have you guys been weighing that from the, the audio content? Yeah, it's something that we've been trying to figure out. A lot of deals right now where brand deals want to come in and they want podcasts and YouTube advertising. Mm. And how do you split that up? And how do you monetize that because it has to be embedded in YouTube Mm -hmm. or at the end of, you know, 30 days, you cut it out and it's gone forever. So that again, we've decided to split the effort so brands can do a a combined campaign, but the advertising is priced much differently and set up differently from audio to, to video and figuring it out. And that's the hard thing too with the, with YouTube is if a video decides to go like it decides to go viral. It doesn't have a, right. <laughs> a, a choice in it. Um, if a video goes viral and you put, you embedded someone's ad in there at a, you know, a podcast CPM, let's say a $25 CPM and it gets 3 million views, but right. it's embedded in there. And you have said, Oh, I averaged 50,000. It's mm. hard to balance that. Then you have Google AdSense and they're putting ads in and you're right. If the CPM changes drastically depending on, on your views. So it's, it's going to be interesting on how things roll out and how much we'll see podcasters move over. Because if it is a lower CPM on YouTube right now, and you're making the effort to make videos, first, you have to meet the YouTube threshold to, in order to be That's eligible right. to earn money. And what and only 6% do or something like that at this point. Yeah. And you have to keep it consistent year over year, you get kicked out of the monetization mm-hmm. program. So I, I think that there's a lot of roadblocks right now for podcasters who may want to go into YouTube. I think that it could be really fruitful, but it has to be done in the right way. Well, you have to adapt a complete YouTube strategy. You can't be, you have to be a podcaster and a YouTuber. And just like you guys are, you've got two divisions there for a reason. And you've got people, you know, most podcasters are, are a creator of one. You know, so it's, uh, again, I think, and I'm not trying to poo-poo video. I've been doing video. We've, how long have we been doing video on this show, Rob? 12 years or something like that? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, but, it, you know, we've never broke out with this show on video. You know, it's, it gets, you know, 100, if we get 100 views on, on YouTube, we're lucky as compared to the podcast downloads are in the, you know, I think we're, we're probably close to 16 or 17,000 which for a niche show like this that talks to podcasters is pretty good, Great, you know, but it's, again, it's a niche show that reaches a specific audience. It's not like we're talking about, you know, what your, what Tom does, but which reaches a much broader audience. I think, did you see the commentary today, Rob, from Tom Webster 
on his Sounds Profitable newsletter. Did you read what mm, Tom had to say today? Mm, I haven't read it yet. It's really kits to this point that you can't have a show for everyone. You have to have a show for someone specific, a specific group of people if you want to grow a bigger audience. Um, it, it, and I think well, it depends it, on how specific it is. There may not be a lot of people in that. Well, that's true. If it's, listener and, group, and, and, though, and right? he, you know, he made a comment about some collectible toy or something, that group would be pretty small. You know, that was yeah. the example. So, um, yeah. if you haven't read today's, uh, sounds profitable newsletter, um, uh, I would recommend going to the website and reading what Tom has to say. I, I basically made it required reading for my entire team today because it really kind of almost hits home to this to this topic of, and maybe it isn't exactly a, a line, but again, you can't have a show that's for everyone. And that's why this show is a show for podcasters, right? And people in the industry, it's, it's not for everyone. And we know what our upper audience size is. It's all about the niche, right? Yeah. So, so Stephanie, I wanted to ask you about another aspect of this distribution conversation that we're having we're spending a lot of time talking about YouTube and podcast distribution, but there are other players out there that are increasingly becoming options for video creators um, to distribute their program. And one of them is a platform called rumble and they don't take people down. So it's an interesting shift that I see some YouTubers doing this Well, they will do half of their show <laughs> on YouTube and the other half of their show on, on rumble. And you just go to rumble and watch the whole show, but, but they will stop doing certain topic areas in their program. Um, because they know that if they talk about that on YouTube, they're going to get taken down. So they basically kill the YouTube stream and <laughs> just keep going on rumble. And then on top of that, you're seeing what's happened to, to uh, Spotify with their acceptance of video as well. So. How are you guys seeing these emerging kind of video consumption platforms is your strategy? Are you guys just not you know, quite there yet? That's a really good question. And we haven't explored it enough to make a, a decision. It's something mm -hmm. we definitely want to explore uh, because we also have the platforms like the university we mm -hmm. do have these other platforms for videos for Tom to speak out on. If he wants to do a specific topic, he used to do right. solo episodes and Tom talks. And so that may be something we do on a separate platform or maybe, you know, with the university, because those topics are different than the podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. But we haven't quite really delved into the, the research there. Um, but that's very interesting that Rumble is a, an open platform where you can talk about anything. Um, it's an interesting query for the industry. You know, if YouTube is taking down, you know, certain creators, but podcasts that's where they go you know, is, is the, open to everyone. Right. Exactly. Right. They're going to rumble. And, and that's the thing about podcasting. And you were talking about it before Todd about, um, you know, the independent creators and, and podcasting gives a voice to everyone. You don't have to be a technical expert to create a podcast, but to create the video side of it, you, you do, you have to learn a lot more software and skills. And so podcasting is a lot more open, especially than YouTube, I think. And so having Rumble, it's interesting to see how it's all going to go. I haven't quite figured it out yet. Rob, is Rumble have a monetization model over there? I believe paying? so. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's just, it, it's tough because, you know, we're streaming on Twitter today. We're on uh, Facebook, we're on YouTube. Right. 
Um, you know, so we're on the, you know, again, we don't get a lot of live views, but we, you know, we're live on multiple platforms. Uh, we're both on Rob and my YouTube channel. So there's duplicate content being put up. I don't know how YouTube reacts to that. Um, it, it is, it is curious, um, how the space goes. I, you know, I'm just, I, I like YouTube. I like a lot of content on YouTube, but I just get worried that, and I know Rob, you're exploring it pretty heavy right now. I just mm -hmm. get worried that a lot of podcasters are going to have this false expectation thinking that they're going to be able to become a, a success. I think any platform you're on, it just takes a lot of work, no matter what you got to yeah. grind, Absolutely. you know, it's, it's, it's not easy in any, in any way. But, That's what I tell a lot of it, uh, independent creators right now as well. Like it's not starting on any platform is not easy. And so pick a platform, focus on that one, grow there, be strong, and then think about moving out, but build your home first. We've been doing, I've been doing AB testing here recently. And the reason I've been able to do it is because of, uh, Claude two and chat GPT and stuff like that. And writing separate headlines, separate show notes for the, the podcast and the YouTube version and, uh, creating using uh, discord and other, uh, 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 not in Discord, Mid, Mid Journey and other platforms like that to create some album art that I would never have been able to create myself. And I think it's helping a lot on the podcast side, but on the YouTube side, I see very, I mean, almost no bump. So like last show, I put up album art that was just basically a picture of this. And then a previous, and I tried four or five episodes in a row and using specific album art that was for the topic and or YouTube art for the topic. And I just, uh, so far my AB testing is pretty inconclusive. I was hoping to see a little bump on YouTube. Maybe just haven't done it long enough. And we I've done extensive YouTube notes now, and it just doesn't seem to be helping in search and, and top of mind topics too, because the other show is a news show. So again, I'm doing stuff on the day the news comes out. So I'm trying to put a title in there that like you guys are doing, trying to drive traffic to that. And maybe I'm just not, maybe I'm just not in the logarithm, you know, not doing everything YouTube needs to see to get the eyeballs to, cause that's what it is. It's eyeballs, get the eyeballs to the content. So it's, it, exactly. it and feels we, frustrating. Yeah, go ahead. It is very frustrating. They don't give you the answers. You have to figure it out. We have uh, uh, an advisor who specifically helps us decipher the YouTube con uh, analytics and demographics and how to position the next episodes and what to do with your titles and your show notes and how to tweak them. And we're constantly A-B testing because there is no answer there, you know, and they, yeah. Google and YouTube keep changing it. Every time you figure it out, they've changed it again. So as an example, I did get a little bump, like double the views on, and again, I didn't look at how long they listened because they may have only stayed for three seconds and left. But the one of the titles I wrote was Apple M3 chip lineup revealed. Well, you know, that kind of, you know, that was the topic of the day. It was on the new, it was in the news in the tech side and it did okay. Um, but then other topics have just been flat. You know, they basically have not gotten a, a bump at all. So, um, and I did use album art where I showed a MacBook, a Mac pro on fire. That was the image. So maybe that drove enough people to, to, cause they're thinking about discontinuing the Mac pro. So maybe that was enough to get enough, a few people to say, Oh, what's this? And, you know, again, they may have turned it on and seen my ugly mug and left in 15 seconds, but who knows? 
<laughs> well, that's the key to that. The, the thumbnail stuff is that it, it, it's got to drive a value message to a potential, potential viewer, right? But yet at the same time, it's probably counterproductive if you drive a kind of incorrect expectation. Well, it, but it wasn't in, that video is. It too, wasn't right? an incorrect. It wasn't an incorrect uh, because there's more to it. There's more to the show. Well, than it just, might not be clear enough yeah, right, yeah, to yeah. make that connection. Right. Yeah. Maybe so, and you come over and yeah. says geek new central, but you think it would be a new show, but anyway, you're, and I think too, is I'm not doing 23 different topics. I'm doing 23 topics in one show. So that's another, you know, it's another challenge of breaking out, but anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Exactly. Oh no. I have a question for the two of you. Speaking of episode art with this change coming to Apple podcasts and iOS 17, where they're going to be showing the episode art even more and highlighting it. Do you think that that will have a big effect on oh, listeners? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it, I know, I know shows that ch have changed their album art every episode for 10 years that have massive audiences, but because they didn't do it, they couldn't get the album art. To, some apps support have supported episode art forever. And Apple didn't support their own tag. Yeah. Right? And I've done album yeah. art. <laughs> I've done album art for more than 10 years. For all, all my episodes. So all my episodes, but the problem is my episode album art was always smaller. And so it has to be 1400 by 1400. It has to be the normal size. Minimum. Minimum. Right. And so now I'm creating album art that's the right size. And by the time they launch this, we'll probably have 40, 50 episodes in can with the right album art size. It'll be picked up. But I know shows like No Agenda that have changed their album art every episode. And I'm talking about the, sh the album art for the show. And it's, right. it's something people see that maybe new to the show, they'll catch their eye. Like, what is that? And then the next episode that they release, there's new album out and they go, what is, I would expect some shows will continue to change their album art along with their episode art. So there is yeah, a strategy Todd, to it. Okay. But should they, should, um, the no agenda show stop, um, updating their series art? They've got to, uh, and only do that on the episode level. Right I, I think they have a formula that they're not going to change. I bet you they do. It for, I bet you they change it for both. Okay. So, so it'll mirror. Yeah. Maybe not mirror. The same. They get enough. They get enough. Um, they have their audience that actually creates their art. So they go through 10 to 15 pieces every episode to vote which, because they do live. People are creating art while they're live, submit it to a system. So they're unique and that they build a system for this. Wow. And they will pick at the end of the show the, the album art that they're going to use for that episode. Then they'll have 10 or 15 pieces to pick from. So most right. podcasters don't have that, but they build a base of, and, and they give credit to them in the show. So I wouldn't be surprised if they go into two, maybe episode art and album art. So you get a double whammy. Who knows? That, we'll have to see what they do when they roll this out. I haven't asked Adam when he's got, how he's going to handle it, but I've been doing episode art every episode for years so not this show but for gnc yeah hmm. clearly the yeah the youtube art um thumbnail is it, it's really turned into its own art form <laughs> what i've seen on, on youtube and i'm sure you know S S stephanie you guys have really kind of honed in on what that that genre is right of of cover art that's that's very oh, yeah. dramatic or very kind of visual and and what's it's kind of your science. philosophy on that and how important is that to, yeah. to what you guys are doing? Oh, the thumbnail is vitally important and goes through the same 
review process as any part of the episode because of how important it is and how it catches the the viewer, you know, when it comes up as a suggested video and how to catch people and, and get their attention in that two and a half seconds. So exactly. Mm-hmm. So you can see like we our cover art will change over time. And as we figure out like, oh, this is the new direction of it. So you can see like the lighter blue was a little bit different. It's, it looks a little bit lighter, the dark or like in uh, energy, the darker blue is a little bit more um, serious and, and heightens the, the tension in it. And so we'll keep tweaking it and figuring out, you know, we'll do different versions of the, the thumbnail and we'll AB test and we make, you know, what is working, what, clip is working what picture of them what title is the title to clickbaity because you don't want to just be clickbaity but on youtube you have to mm-hmm. find that balance um so it's a very big part of our episode production do you uh, have your guest pose for art no these are all stills from the they recording. grab a still off it and then they they yeah. photoshop it mm-hmm. exactly so we're going to be testing out with the episode art on Apple because we hadn't done it before. But if Apple is going to support it, we said, you know, we're already doing the thumbnails for the YouTube version. Right. What's going to work on podcasts? Is it going to be similar to YouTube? Does that catch people's eyes? So we're going to be testing that out as well. I was uh, showing, you can't see it real clear probably, but this is the art that we've been using. You know, then the, this is the last show, AI tool, tools for content generation. Mm. And I have some dude sitting in front of a computer. Then Here's the here's the art that we use for the for the show for the YouTube video, and then we've got AI discriminates against black podcasters, and I've got a picture of it looks like people that are protesting or even you know maybe minor rioting. So this is the kind of stuff that we're that I've been that I've been playing around with. Of course, Rob did two shows while I was gone and didn't create anything, but you know, state of podcast trade shows. I've got a, and again, it's AI generated art because I'm not an mm-hmm. artist and I don't really have any any skills per se. So we've been, you know, we're experimenting too. And, um, what was funny was the, cause I, you know, run a podcast hosting company. You do have a little bit of relationship with Apple. And one of the Apple folks reached out to me and says, Hey, <laughs> love your album art, but, uh, these be 1400 by 1400, you know, cause I'd been putting it 600 by 600. Cause I was trying to save. I didn't want to put those big images. Cause when Google indexes the page and all that stuff, it just adds for more, you know, so, but they said 1400 by 1400. So I, okay, I got the message there and we'll, we'll make sure it's in the feed that way. I don't put it on the website that big, but. Um, yeah. I think the common theme that you see in, in YouTube thumbnails, Todd, though, is, is the big bold text. Yeah. I Almost know. It's like a billboard message, right? And I, and be honest with you, mm-hmm. when I'm searching YouTube, I don't look at that at all. I look at the titles, so I don't get sucked in mm-hmm. by the. Yeah, but it is the first thing you probably see, right? Yeah, but you is know, maybe the shows I watch, maybe they just don't do that. I you know, I watch a lot of sailing shows and that kind of stuff. And it does annoy me though. Like there's one channel that I watch in specific, they always have some dramatic clickbait and it's like, okay, you're going to piss you know, me some off. Some guy going well, no, he's like, he's like, you know, he's, you know, he's going to say, "Oh, we have big news for you or something's trouble here or we're leaving someplace and it's some sort of dramatic, and it usually ends up being right, we're over here being nothing. <laughs> it usually ends up yeah. being nothing, and it and it be honest with you, I almost don't want to play it because it's almost like okay, what drama now? And it ends up being no drama. So I think there's a exactly. fine a fine line. Yeah, but it's also what works too, right? I mean, yeah, okay, but if you're doing it a lot, which some shows do, I think it hurts you. 
I think it, I think this hype up hurts you over time because I want to know what the content's about. I don't want to be hyped. I want to just tell me what the episode's about. And well, I think it depends on their goals. You know, if their goal is for this one episode, they want the clicks to come through, but they don't care about retention, Mm. then have the super clickbaity title. But if you're looking at retention, then maybe you change your tactic. Oh, yeah, maybe. It'd be nice if you could have a different title for subscribers and for non subscribers. That's something YouTube should do. That would be a great. See, then you can use the clickbait titles for those are not subscribed and those that are get, you know, a normal title. So, so just, <laughs> just to kind of back up and use this episode as an example. So, so if we think about the topics we've talked about on the show, what would a clickbait um, thumbnail look like for this episode? Would it be like, learn the secrets of video success or something? I don't know. Oh, yeah. And it, learn the secrets of having accessible podcast and a podcast and YouTube yep. channel or something to that. But that's way too oh, long for, for a cover yeah, art. I don't think that's no, not cover art. I think it's, <laughs> well, that's what I'm talking about is a thumbnail. Salacious. Right. You know, is audio dead? Is art, is YouTube taking over? Right. Oh, see that's exactly. your clickbait title. Oh, that's clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anyone that knows me are going to be like, Oh, that's clickbait. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But that's how you have to differentiate, you know, when you're working on your podcast and we'll do different titles for YouTube and podcast as well for Uh that reason, because on podcasts, like if you're already subscribed to the show, you know, the host, you know, they're the type of questions that they like to ask or the story is how they like to tell them. And so you're looking for who are you talking to and what are we talking about today? Right. Because you're there to, you're for the, you're there for the ride. You're there to listen. But on YouTube, you're not always going for that specific host or the interviewer and so it's like ooh, is audio dead right find out what are these experts saying so it's you know it's the last show i did my last tech show my um title of the episode was stranded astronaut set to return that was just the and that was the lead story but on youtube it was that other topic i talked about earlier about the apple m3 chips lineup reveal and then basically it was a the end of the Mac Pro question mark. So there was a little bit of clickbaity in there. So in the mm-hmm. title, not necessarily in the art. Well, the art was a burning Mac. So, you know, maybe that was enough to get people to to look at it. But so yeah, that a rally t- cry. Yeah, you know, oh, they're gonna kill the Mac Pro. What are they talking about? You know, and that was my second story of the show. So but you had to listen through eight minutes to get to it. So that's another thing that YouTube doesn't like. Right. And they want their ads really early and they want them often. And they, and they want you to, you know, that six or seven minutes and get in and get out for most YouTube channels, a very, very short content. Yeah. Exactly. But I, so I'm curious how you guys are using and the audience is going to hate this because I spent 30 minutes on the last episode talking about the processes we're using for to create to stuff with uh, AI. Are you guys using chat GBT, using Claude? What are you guys using for your, your summarization tool? A combination of chat GPT, a program called Jasper um, and magic cast. Try Claude to give it a try. Claude too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Give it a run. Cause if we're testing everything and so far for show summaries, we found Claude two to be superior largely because we can link the entire transcript. And, um, oh, that's great. Yeah. As an example, 
And again, sorry, Rob. When you say a link the entire transcript, what is that? Uh, basically, you can attach the entire transcript and you can query it to analyze the, uh, the last episode. For example, what I did on the last, uh, on this episode. Creating chapters or? Well, no. I basically said, examine this content. Mm-hmm. Write me what you think the headline title of the episode should be. And then summarize the show by topic. So on the last episode, it's summarized by A, tools for content creation, podcast advertising and ACAST, daily versus weekly podcast publishing cadences, podcast movement, podcast apps and value for value, and a conclusion. So it covered one, two, it covered what we talked about, and it wrote it itself. Uh, I had to do some editing, of course, but if you look at the last show's show notes, those were written by Claude from our, from our, uh, from our transcript. So I think uh, it did a pretty good job summarizing the show uh, in a way that I would never do or have time to do in the past. So, and it came up with the, with the title of the show, which I asked, I asked it to write 10 titles and then I pick a title from the 10 titles it, it suggests. And I give it a word limit too. So again, I don't know how you guys are. I've, you know, I've been playing with this now for about three or four, maybe six months. And it's all changing though. These models from day to day change on what's better or worse. I've also noticed that the YouTube folks will actually suggest three or four titles for episodes in the tool as well. Yeah. I've never seen the suggested tap. What feature is that? It's in the studio. I have never seen it suggest a title. Oh. Yeah. That must be that must be limited to some people. I've never seen that. No, I've been seeing it on it- on on my on videos since I got accepted into the monetization. Uh, it must be the monetization. If you're monetized, you must get access to that. Is that I've How never seen that. Good are the titles? They seem to be pretty good. I think I picked uh, one of them at one point for one of my videos. I don't have a huge amount of video. I got like maybe 42 videos or something like that. That That's it. But, but I've just been playing around with the artwork, playing around with the titles to see if it, you know, it helps the, the viewership. Where does that, the, where does that show up, Rob? Does it show up in the title area or? Yeah. The- yeah. If you click on it, um, that hmm. area, it, it oftentimes will pop up a couple of, suggested titles well i think that's that you must be in a beta because i've not seen that but that's cool that it's doing that yeah yeah have you guys seen that at all stephanie i'll ask the the production department and see what they're getting as well um because they might be but we do we pull a bunch of different options we'll run it through you know ai a couple different times different ways yep. the the hardest thing we're having with ai is tom and lisa have very specific voices the way that they speak especially lisa mm-hmm. she's from yeah. the uk she has a specific uh you know verbiage that she generally uses and the way that she delivers things it's uniquely her and so getting things into her voice is the harder part um, right. So we're looking for AIs that can really capture their different voices and then transcribe things or generate summaries or intros in their voices. I think that would be the next level that I, I'd like to see. I think from that aspect, we found Whisper so far has been the best in being able to differentiate voices. They're still not perfect mm. by any means. It'll say speaker one, speaker two, 
like when I play the intro to this show, the mm-hmm. AIs will will think that those two people are the first two people that show up in this show are the intro. And that'll be speaker one, speaker two, then Rob and I are speaker three, speaker four. And sometimes there's a fifth. <laughs> but it does but it doesn't know it doesn't know who it is. But um Claude has been able to I, I tell him, okay, who who the two co hosts are. I tell I tell him who's in the show. And then it does a pretty go- good job of sorting it out because Rob will say Todd and I'll say Rob and it that seems to trigger it enough to know that we're switching. I I, I don't know. It's kind of right. <laughs> it's getting better, but again, yeah, it's still it's hard. You know, there's no perfect no software right now. We really enjoyed um, Cast Magic, like I said, because it'll do the same thing. You know, we get the full transcript. We get. 10 options for titles mm-hmm. we get uh quotes pulled out and that saved us a lot of time we still will take that you have to edit it we'll have to put it into tom and lisa's tone mm-hmm. um so there's still work but i think that we're headed in the right direction but the amount of time that it's saving creators now is incredibly beneficial well it's adding time to me because i'm doing stuff i didn't do before but it's a better product in the end yeah i think that's the well, takeaway. Right, because I didn't have time. I didn't have a team. Go ahead, right? Bob. So that's true. So yeah. extra work, but it's easy work. Well, you, Go ahead. So, do you think all these AI tools, Stephanie, is actually making um, making things more efficient, or is it just making the output um, better performing? Do you think? I think a little bit of both. I think that when it's adopted in the right way, when you find, you know, you get past the learning curve um, Mm -hmm. and when it becomes part of your workflow, it is incredibly beneficial and helping creators, you know, get time back on the things that they, that will not move the needle, you know, spending hours creating your show notes. Yes, you need good show notes. They need to be detailed and have your topics. But they take so long to write mm-hmm. until you get into that cadence because you're listening and you're taking notes and you're time stamping. So having something to speed that up when you can focus that time on audio quality or you know a couple extra minutes editing or tweaking, I think that's that's beneficial. And I don't I think you're always gonna need that human capacity in it to to tweak it, but I love the time that it's giving us back. The um and I've been thinking about this a lot on uh, the format. And let's just talk about podcast show notes. I've made my bread and butter for the past really almost 19 years in driving traffic to an episode so that we can gain listeners that way. But search is going to change in here in the near future in a, in a big way. Mm-hmm. And um, if you don't have a lot of metadata on that webpage, um, if you have one paragraph, that's not going to cut it no more. That's not going to your title and a paragraph and some links. That's not going to do it. You, you, you're never going to be found. You're going to be eradicated. So the key is we know that most listeners and same thing with YouTubers, they, they'll read, they'll see the picture and they'll see the title and they'll play and they'll never read the metadata below unless you said, Hey, there's a link down there. Maybe they'll go find the link and click it. Maybe. So we have to get out of this mindset that, and this has really been my mindset from the beginning is that we're really our, our content. This content is for the audience, the website and the YouTube metadata is for Google. And 
that is what we have to focus on is making the metadata of our show notes deep enough that you become the, from the learning language model, the authority on this topic and you are sourced and cited. And the only way you're going to do that is have this rich metadata. Now, Google might already be indexing what's in YouTube videos and podcasts and using that data to make determinations already, but I haven't seen evidence of it. In other words, all of a sudden, I haven't seen a post that I did on, as an example, I covered my main topic of my episode on the, um, the International Space Station. That is ranking well, but one of the subtopics in the episode is not. So it tells me that Google's not looking at those subtopics yet or what's in the content to drive people to that episode page. So I think for now, we have to continue to feed the beast with, with deeper show notes and more context. Um, otherwise, it's, it's going to be game over from a discovery standpoint. Maybe not as much on YouTube because it's a different beast from a logarithm standpoint, but from Google search, I, I think things are going to change dramatically. Absolutely. And writing those show notes that help you become more discoverable, like you said, is just a tedious, tedious. task for every episode. Yeah. yeah. And if you can help, if you can use, and it, and the thing is, the playing field is going to be even because if we talk about it on this show, 16 or 17,000 podcasters are going to start using ChatGPT or Claude and using their transcripts to write summaries. We're going to be in the winner, winner, chicken dinner. We're all going to win. It's those that don't. And I think that are going to be hurt and people need to be paying attention. And I, I also say, don't get locked into a single tool. This thing's moving so fast. Uh, keep looking around. You know, don't get Absolutely. locked. Yeah, don't get locked into a single tool. Yeah, so I've been l looking at what Bing is doing with AI, and it may be a leading indicator of where this is going because I'm a little bit concerned about as people start using these language models to um, to do more searches, right? For all sorts of topics that maybe they would do in a Google search, right? That they're going to. It's a little bit like what's happened with these smart speakers, right? That there's going to be one authority that gets spit out of these things, right? Versus, you know, a whole page right. of, of optional resources. This is what I'm and, referring to. Right. So, so that is, that puts us in a different position that, that on any given topic, there's only going to be one clear winner, right? Well, and, Google and is, how is that? When are going to be selected? Google's not going to destroy their display business because it's the foundation of their company revenue. So there's going to be some. I agree with that. There's going to be right. some trade there. So I think what, to be honest with you, what will potentially happen is going to be in a hybrid. If you just look at what they're testing already, you can already see it. Well, with Bing, Bing, you well, can even see it with actually even Google Labs, creating, yeah, creating their output based on your query, and then inside of that output, they have links to websites, right? So it's like uh, sources. Yeah. So again, you're going to have to be wide enough and narrow enough to be able to be, to be come up in those search terms that you want. Um, right. So again, I think it's feeding. In, in, here's where Google's got an advantage. We're talking about chat GPT and Claude and exactly. all that stuff. Google owns YouTube. <laughs> you have all the data. Is what Go Google to. owns, owns search. You know, and they've got all these points that, you know, they've got uh, podcasts are now in YouTube. They've got all these voices. So when they start training the models, not just on text, but on voice, uh, the more you're out there, the better you're going to be. And as long as you are speaking authority and not as an idiot 
and the machine thinks you're not an idiot, I think you're going to be okay. Because it's going to make a determination if you're an authority or not. And it's also going to dig deep into content that's been uh, basically unavailable to Google, and that's audio and video. That's right. Well, I mean, audio mainly yeah. has been kind of a black box. But, but it, they're going to do they're going to do video analysis too. So don't. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about uh, YouTube, it's it's been that way yeah. for a while, but but they're going to analyze the content at a much deeper level and actually make that part of the results at a level that we've probably never seen before. Google has to be scared that this is going to change their, make them lose money. So they're, they're going to figure out a way to make sure they don't lose money. (laughs) Well, Bing in some ways got ahead of them a little bit on this. Well, Um, don't count. The reason Bing got ahead of them. Is because of chat GPT? Yes, because of open AI, open AI, open AI, you know, basically. Yeah, 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 open AI. AI unzipped their pants and said, "Here's what we've got," and <laughs> and it's a, it's a very <laughs> rude saying. But it, and then everyone said, "Oh my God, don't you know?" Google said, "Why are you showing this so early?" Because of you know this there there's a whole political thing that's happened because of what Open AI did, and it's forced the genie out of the bottle a little early. So don't don't count Google out. Matter of fact, Google is going to smash them all, in my opinion. I haven't been that impressed with Google's AI. But remember, remember what you see publicly is not what they really have working. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got, (laughs) they've got versions that they are scared to release. And now licensing is happening. You know, New York times (laughs) just made a policy said, you can't scrape our website. No way, no how, but interestingly enough, they've got some deal going on with Google. So now it's going to be about the content. And do you want your content to be indexed or not? Does your, you want your content to go in the model or not? For me, I think, yeah, I want to go in the model. It's not going to hurt me to go in the model. Well, we hope it isn't, right? Well, long history, I think you, you're probably okay, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's going to change. Yeah, it's a mountain that I think you want to be in the model until you hit this certain point when you no longer want to be in it anymore. (laughs) <laughs> and then it's true. too late. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. And for me, being in the model is purely for in the Google model and the Bing model is to be found by search and be yeah. and be cited. You know, how do you podcast? How do you create create YouTube video? How do you the questions people ask? You know, that's where people are going to be are going to win or lose in this whole marketplace or a content like Tom's content. You know, it's, it's going to be, you know, if we look at understanding power, corruption, politics, AI, religion, tribalism, and free speech, now that's a big topic, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with Sam Harris, part one, that's, that's, that's a mouthful. And you see yeah. that and you go, Hmm, that sounds interesting. And you analyze all that voice, then. So, so Stephanie, I've got a, a question for you too, around you had mentioned this term um, earlier in our interview of um, I think brand safety Um, Mm. that kind of triggered in my mind. Are you guys um, working with or have, have any of your content being evaluated by brand safety platforms? Not yet. It's something we're just, uh, we're just diving into it now as we're, you know, with any type of content you want to constantly evolve and Tom is evolving his content into this, Mm -hmm. what he's calling phase three of 
the world is changing so rapidly. So how do you stay on top of it with yourself and self-improvement as a whole in all of that? But that includes AI and crypto and everything in Web3 that you know, how do you stay on top of all of this while taking care of yourself and improve your business and your life and your relationships? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can be scary content because it's a lot of unknown. And so now we're we're looking into brand safety and going to be, you know, working with some companies to make sure that as we're exploring things and things change, you just want to make sure that everything's protected and the brands that we work with feel protected and that the content isn't um, going to make anyone feel, you well, know, of course, and we always want our content to make people feel good. But I think that we're in this very weird era of being careful what you say while balancing free speech um, and moving into this unknown new time place. So it's, I but, think, something that creators should think about. But you are kind of being analyzed already. You're in the big machine of YouTube. So they're looking at every word already. So, yeah. you know, from that aspect, you are being, doing moderation. You're right being, now. you're being <laughs> scrutinized already. Um, so, but YouTube responds well to content on both, on mm. all sides, you know, it doesn't have to be, it's, even though they may have, you know, deplatformed your friends, uh, for what they were saying, they do, if someone's getting a lot of views for what they're saying, they like the controversy because it's bringing more eyes and more money to mm. them. So I think YouTube plays it both ways. I don't think, I think brand safety is an interesting issue with them. Yeah. I didn't have an opportunity to listen to the content. They have a podcast. I might go back and listen to see what they've actually said uh, to try mm. to figure out what it is. But even on one of the Facebook channels and StreamYard, someone was talking about being deplatformed. I saw a Facebook post on that the other day. So, um, and they were looking for alternative, uh, and it wasn't StreamYard's fault. Obviously, they're just using StreamYard, but they were looking for integrations, like you said, Rob, over at Rumble. They want Rumble. to say, where else can we go with the content now that we're we're not on YouTube? And it's, I think, it's a double-edged sword. I, I, and it just goes back to my my philosophy that if you're going to build a brand. And you're going to have content, you, you know, Tom's got a, obviously got a website. I, I'm, I'm on it right now looking at it. You know, all that content needs to ensure that it's, you know, you've got copies of it in case someone does something stupid and you can fall back to impacttheory.com. Everyone knows to go where to receive the content. And I'm not saying they're ever going to get deplatformed, but I'm just, you know, this is the thing I think content creators have to plan for, plan for that, that rainy day when someone pulls a plug on you. Um, and, you know, some people are going to laugh when I tell them that, but it's just again and again and again and again, I see stuff happen to creators that, you know, we can't trust these folks, to be honest with you. Exactly. They're only looking out for themselves and their revenue. So you have to protect yourself. Yep. Oh, and by the way, I, I, oh, right on the main site, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music. So I missed that. I The links are right there. So my apologies. Okay, yeah, because I, I, I initially I came... Worried. I initially came to the website and I didn't, didn't scroll down. So, you know, here, everybody, here's what the website looks like. And right there, follow on Apple podcast, Spotify and so forth. So you just got redeemed with all those. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) False statements at the beginning of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's clear that, you know, Tom and the impact theory um, brand has its strongest reputation in the video side i think 
question. Well, they started there. So well, I know, but they built, I mean, like yeah, huge yeah, yeah, numbers yeah. over there yeah, too. Yeah. So so their reach is very yeah, strong. Three point so. one million subscribers on YouTube is no no, you know, no small number. Right. Exactly. And and in order to grow and continue to grow on either platform, YouTube or podcast, it's continuing being ready to evolve and being adapting yeah. or being able mm-hmm. to adapt to to changes and that's what we're constantly doing and so with youtube we're constantly adapting with podcasts we're constantly adapting and that's the only way we're going to be able to to ride this out so ai all of that it's all part of it 3.71 not 3.1 3.71 million (laughs) (laughs) you know but i think there's yeah just a few i think though it's it's nice to see these deltas because you know rob how many years have we talked about know how how's the crossover worked and we really had never had anybody in a show that said i've had success in both places and it there is some thought this should give people some food to thought on strategy because you almost have to have two strategy lines yeah you really do it's it's just taking the same content but no matter what it is the product it's the service like you said in the beginning, you can't have a show that's for everyone. Right. One marketing plan isn't for everyone. So you may have the same product, but how you pitch it to this audience is going to be different than how you pitch it to that audience. Yeah, and how do you know what that difference is, is the, I think the big challenge. Exactly. So we pulled data constantly. What were the last, uh, you know, the best 10 episodes on YouTube for the last three months? And what were the best 10 episodes on podcasts for the last three months? And mm-hmm. see where there's crossover, if any, and what categories they are. You know, Tom and Lisa have five different buckets of content that they do their interviews as part of. So relationships and business and health. And so which categories of episodes perform better? Do we want to lean into that? And maybe we just release some content on YouTube or maybe we just release it on podcasts because we know that it'll perform there and it won't do well on the other platforms. So it really is two strategies that converge into one overarching strategy. One thing that um, some people say, oh, I don't have a team. How can I do this? You know, and how can I analyze my, my data? Um, I've, uh, I don't know if I told this on the last show or not, Rob, but we took the 8 million votes, 8 plus million votes from the podcast awards, from the listener votes. Mm-hmm. And I had to narrow the data down pretty tight because I could only, I had to have it, uh, the spreadsheet at 250 megs and smaller. And uh, so I put in like IP data, date they voted, and just a whole bunch, whole bunch, as much data as we could. And we fed that to Code Interpreter. Now, I normally pay a firm a pretty big chunk of money every year to go through and look for fraud. And um, this year, uh, me and my partner, One Technologies, we were able to go into ChatGBT's uh, Code Interpreter, upload that spreadsheet and ask the questions that we would normally ask to look for fraud. And we were literally, within an hour, we were blown away by the data that we got back. It was about a 10-page report. We see where there was coordinated voting. We saw when uh, people, and when we could see an X number of shows, an X number of people voted for the same shows again and again, and, and password conference, you know, all these things we really looked at. And we came out feeling pretty good about the processes we had in place to protect the voting on the awards. I think a podcaster could take their podcast stats 
from their provider. And they could download, and most podcast uh, hosts will allow of, of, uh, you to export your, um, to export your data. You have your show title, description, download numbers, release date, all that stuff in a spreadsheet. Uh, put the spread of who listened to what and how. Dump that into Code Interpreter and start asking questions. You might have your own data analysis to be able to do stuff that you would never be. I'm not a data analyst at all, but if you can get graduate level data analysis from your stats, you might see, okay, on these five episodes, they, they trended quicker or these four topics were horrible or this, these types of guests, you know, there's all kinds of data you could extract using code interpreter that I couldn't have done it. And I was blown away. I sent the company that we normally do the auditing. I sent them the report and within 15 minutes of me sending them that report and not sending them a check this year, they responded to me as, how did you do that? And I'm talking about 8 million votes that we basically looked at the data. Now think about it. If you only got a hundred episodes, and you add enough metadata that maybe not in your stats, but you put the extra metadata in, I, I think you could come out with some whopping conclusions. And if you've got a YouTube channel, maybe do the same thing. I don't know. Does YouTube let you download your, your metrics? Yeah. So you maybe, maybe even side-by-side -side comparisons and just ask it, what do you see here that I should pay attention to? And this stupid thing will give you, you know, results that you may never have thought of. So. I know people are sick of me talking about, but this is practical stuff that I'm doing to save money and also to do analysis. So, um, that's a really great idea. Yeah. The code interpreter is it's it and from everyone I've talked to or heard on different podcasts talking about, it, they say it's, it's a graduate level. In other words, un, I should say undergraduate level data analysis. It has this, you know, has that level of someone that's came out of college with a degree and data analytics, it'll pull information and it's only going to get better. So I, I, someday I'll be able to share the report that we put together on the fraud report. I was just, I'm be honest with you, I was flabbergasted. I posted a couple of things on Facebook about it on my Facebook page. I didn't post too much, but we could see trending on categories, what categories are people watching i mean it's just a whole and it, some of that stuff is just pure adding stuff up that that's all code interpreter did but i didn't have to go to the bottom of the spreadsheet and put the sum equals formula in there right. it did it for me you know so some of the stuff wasn't like brain science but some of it was but having that data i mean any extra data that we can extrapolate because we get so little yeah is incredibly beneficial and and, if, and maybe you don't learn anything but maybe you will learn something you know, and maybe we should do that for this show. Maybe I'll try and experiment and pull the, pull the, pull the stats for this show and we'll run it through it and see what it says. You know, maybe yeah. it'll it look, have the titles and the descriptions and, you know, all that other stuff. And maybe they'll tell us, Hey, you guys need to, you know, the, these shows are trending higher than others, but maybe it I'm won't. I'm sure there is probably shows that do better than I others. I disappear for a week. Exactly. <laughs> if I disappear for a week, it's because I'm diving into Code Interpreter and just running all these data points. Well, you know, in, in all honesty, it didn't take long. It, it took longer because it was 8 million records. And it sat there and go, 
give me a few minutes. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I went and got a cup of coffee and came back and five minutes later and the thing was still spinning, you know, because it was working. If you only have, you know, if you don't have that big of a data set, it's going to go up and it's going to spit it out. But we waited for the results to every query, like five to six minutes, because it was so much data to chew through. <laughs> running their GPU cost up, you know, so I, I was pretty happy with that one. But it literally saved me a couple thousand dollars. It was a big deal. Yeah. Wow. I would love to see that when you can share it. Yeah. The report was blew me away. I just, I mean, it really, really did. And again, I did that with, with, uh, again, chat GPT and code interpreter. You only get that if you're paying the 20 bucks. So. Mm -hmm. Sounds like it's worth the 20 bucks. It's worth the 20 bucks. I'm surprised it's not 50. I would probably pay for it if it was 100. So that's, I shouldn't say that because OpenAI is burning through money and they're going to need more money soon. So I, they, they, they're going to have to, I can only imagine they're going to raise the price. Yeah. Was it all this talk about them going bankrupt by the end of the year? Well, <laughs> you know, you're, you're running warehouses full of GPUs. It's not, it's, it's that, you know, that data bill. It's monster, you know. But yeah, yep. but still, we got a fifty-fifty chance to survive this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is that just trying to build build sympathy out there? <laughs> I, 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 you know, you listen to some. There's some pretty scary interviews out there. This Claude two, uh, the Claude two founder was on a interview. Some about the first thirty minutes of it, it's going to go over your head because he's talking about terms I never understood. If you listen to the full two-hour interview of him and everything he's had to say, you, you might not sleep for two or three nights. It's 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 uh it's interesting. So yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to get myself so too good. deep in the weeds, but I am. We should listen to that before podcast movement, so we're all just up. <laughs> That's right. Well, speaking of that, uh, Stephanie, you're going to be at podcast movement, right? Awesome. You're doing a doing a panel session and things like that. Are you doing a session yeah, on the? There. on yep. the crossover of i'm doing a session on podcast marketing and how to continually evolve your marketing plans with some other powerhouse podcast marketers we have ariel neesenblatt julie booth from sxm uh we have joni deutsch from the podglomerate and uh christina fouth from here at impact theory is our moderator and so just talking about how we all have different perspectives and are coming at podcast marketing from different angles and how have we all been able to evolve and, and create this job that was not a thing five years ago um and continue to grow it i i know the name of your next podcast it's how to oh, yeah. grow a popular youtube and Pod, a YouTube channel and podcast at the same time. That's right. the podcast. Ooh. That's the podcast. You'll instantly have a hundred thousand people listen to the show. Instantly. Thought I've already like booked her for that topic on a different show. Oh. <laughs> well, I, you know, for it, it, there could be a whole show series there. I know. Yeah. You totally. Know. Absolutely. I yeah. think, and then with how things evolve with YouTube, and that's. I love it. I love having this opportunity to see both sides of it, the YouTube and the podcast side yeah. and relay the information. Because like you said, there's not many people who have been successful at both. Right. So if we can, if I can share what we're learning to all the other creators and help them grow. Great. That's the goal. Yeah. I think you're within a handful of two or 300 shows that have 
had that crossover success. I don't think it's much bigger than that. There's a huge yeah. number. It's just hard to know, Todd. It's hard to know. Well, we, we've done the analysis. I run the analysis about uh, three or four weeks ago. And again, if you look at the top 200 in Apple Podcasts and you look at the YouTubes that have correspond, there's not that many. It's, it's, yeah. it, you have to go pretty deep uh, to find, you know, success. Well, it depends on what your, what your expectation around the word success is. Too, well, ex- so. success would be, right. you know, more than a hundred, more than a thousand views per, for episode on YouTube. Just use that mm-hmm. criteria, you know, look mm-hmm. at the top 200 and then go look at the corresponding YouTube channel. And if they've got more than a thousand views on YouTube, then put them in the success category. Um, again, it's not a, it's not a big pool and, uh, you know, Go, I, I just go do your homework. Everyone else go do your homework. Prove me wrong. Um, you know, I think that's the key here is go, go find. Well, it's not shows. impossible. No, right? it's not. It's not, but you, it's just, it just, it takes some strategy planning. Just like yeah. what, what Stephanie's told us. Exactly. Is you, you have to definitely have, is a different approach. You have to have two strategies. Yeah. And I, and I, which makes sense. It does. It makes sense. So your audience has to decide whether they're an audio listener or if they're a video listener, right? Mm-hmm. So you're putting that decision in the hands of your of your um, of your audience to decide where they want to consume. Seventy percent right? consume this audio, thirty percent consume it as a video podcast, but they don't go to YouTube and listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you've always told me that this show is about eighty percent audio. Yeah, and- Twenty percent. Yeah, G and C seventy thirty. This shows about eighty eighty twenty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But I've been. Yeah. And. What? Oh, and do you see much crossover? Like, I don't know how we'd be able to track it, but for us, you know, people who watch on YouTube are never going to be the ones who open a podcast app. So we're not afraid of losing them to video because that's where they are. That's where they live. And same with audio. If you consume it audio only, you're not going to YouTube. Like I am not a YouTube person. I listen to podcasts and, but my husband is a YouTube person and he consumes it all video content. I think people in this show that come to watch this on YouTube use podcast apps. So because we have no, our our YouTube numbers are horrible. Uh, Industry. I don't know. Your listeners, you guys, you guys probably have, like you said, if you don't think you have much crossover on your show, that answers the question. You know, there, there are people, but I would be really curious to see what would happen if you guys actually put the video content out like we do as, and again, it's some podcast as a video, video as a true video podcast. I'd love to see where those numbers would start to, if they would change at all. But again, there's limited number of apps that actually support video. So they're limited to Apple Podcasts right. and a few others that actually will play the video if there's if there's an MP4 associated with it. Some of those just play it as audio and don't show the video. So when we say it's an 80-20 rule for us, we're, we're talking about a RSS-based video right, distribution right. as well as an RSS-based audio distribution yeah. as a as a comparison as a comparison and then the youtube is point zero zero completely zero one or something it's out in, <laughs> in the left field right you yeah know, people tune in to see rob and i argue and you know and our shenanigans that's that's what we get for youtube on live usually <laughs> <laughs> or when we're yelling at each other or something or arguing about yeah, youtube it, <laughs> that'd be interesting to 
to do it, do a data analysis on the episodes where we argue or the episodes where we agree <laughs> with each other and to find out who, who tunes in more for what, what scenario. And what's in what we've seen across the board is anytime we have a guest, the number's always lower. That's even the more weird part. Yeah. yeah anything from 15 to 20% lower. Yeah. They really just want to hear you guys. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. So we've the had, key we, is, do they want to hear us argue or do, do they want to hear us agree? Do, you know, and so. I'll do some clickbaiting on this particular episode. I'm going to have fun with it because it's probably of interest to a lot of people. But I think that, um, I don't know, we've had some fantastic guests and I'm like, I, I want to hear them. <laughs> you know, Why doesn't the audience want to hear them? You know, that's the weird part. So you should do a know. compilation episode of your biggest disagreements. <laughs> you know, and not then that. cover art of you two and like boxing match. That's right, with boxing gloves. Yeah. Right. I think I did one. I think I tried to put something like that together with Discord and it, it was like, cannot depict violence and wasn't letting me create an image. You know? <laughs> <laughs> have too much conflict. Yeah. Right. You're, you're going to be deplatformed if you keep asking <laughs> right. for violence. Exactly. Right. Or kicked off my mid-journey uh, account or whatever it may be. Right. <laughs> Some of the stuff I've seen mid-journey create, though, makes me think I'm not really asking it stuff. There's anime creators out there. They're creating some uh, typical, Jap yeah, typical Japanese anime stuff that I would think would borderline be you know, almost pornographic. And I'm just like, you're, you're worried about me having a picture of two people with boxing gloves? Come on now. <laughs> You know, it's, it's very odd. All right, um, we're at the end here. Let's yeah, we are. Let's get uh, let's get let's get okay. some uh, contact info. How can they reach out to you? Uh, you can find me online at Steph Arakelian, S T E P H A R A K E L I A N, um, or send me an email, Stephanie at Impact Theory. If you have podcast questions, YouTube questions, I'm here to help. I want to share what we're learning so we can help the industry continue to grow and discover new things. All right, Rob. Terrific. Uh, I can be found on Twitter at Rob Greenlee, uh, robgreenlee.com. And I do a couple of shows, uh, one's called Trust Factor. Behind the wheel, actually, all on all on YouTube, so you can go over there and check it out. And um, and I'm going to be at <laughs> Podcast Movement. Uh, we're going to be doing this show live on, I believe, on the twenty was it the twenty second? I, I think, think twenty. When is it? 20th. Wednesday or well, I don't know. It's hor we're horrible. I'm trying to remember <laughs> off the top of my head right now. I've got two two sessions. I think it's I think it's on the twenty second. We're, we're we're doing no no on the twenty third. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, it's on Wednesday at uh, at four four fifteen um, in the exhibition area. So if you want to come in and watch the show live, we're going to be on stage with James Cridlin, and I'm going to bring on a, another couple of guests too. But that's going to be uh, recorded with a 360 degree video camera. So so if you ask questions, I will be able to get you uh, on on the video as well. And so, Rob is in charge of the AV. I'm not. And uh, before well, I was hoping for your help a little bit, Tom, of course, I was trying to stream it live on, on StreamYard. Too, okay. So well, that's fine. So right. let me know what you need. Um, okay. as well, um, make sure you stop by booth 500 and, uh, on Wednesday at that time, we're, we're, uh, got 200 pours of beer for you and a special offer on the house from uh, blueberry. I think there's a couple other companies doing pours as well. So you should be able to 
have a few beers uh, during that uh, hour or so of happy hour. So make sure you do that. Bring a beer to the to the live new media show. I might even have one sitting down on by my feet, but I uh, won't be drinking it during the show. So, um, but I'm Todd at Blueberry.com, uh, Blueberry without the E's, and of course at Geek News on Twitter. Uh, again, we'll try to be live and uh, have everything fired up and going. So we've been semi-successful with that. We'll see how the audio is. It's always a challenge at those events if they've got a, the right type of well, I have a, a, a tool that I'm going to use for our our session that oh. will hopefully eliminate uh, all that background sound. Oh, Actually, it. it's a Ooh. it's a tool from Nomano. Yeah, very expensive. Oh my gosh! Twenty four hundred dollar. You got a audio beta. platform. Oh, you got a beta on that, didn't you? Uh-huh. A beta? No. Or did you uh, pay for it? No, no, it's a demo unit. Oh, a demo unit. Okay. So it I got uh, so bad. <laughs> flown to me from Norway. Is where it's from. All so, right. oh, well, that'd be so fun. I'll, I'll use it for our session. So hopefully we can get the audio out of that and it'll be clean from all of the exhibition sounds. And uh-huh. then I'll also be in the stream yard as well as the Nomano booths. So I'll be bouncing back and forth Amazing. between those two booths. All right. Yeah. yeah. Stop by the blueberry booth and say hello and, uh, find out what we've been up to and, uh, lots to talk about, but I think that, that, Everyone stay safe. Be good. We'll see if those of you can be at Podcast Movement. Otherwise, we'll be back here in a couple of weeks for another edition of the in-house new media show. And right. uh, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the show today. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you, Stephanie. Thank you so much yeah. for having me. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah. So, my, my, it was an honor to be here with you guys. And uh, everyone check out Impact Theory. And uh, very simple to go over to the website. And then you can choose. Cho- <laughs> I can't talk. You can choose your poison, whether you want to listen to audio or video, impacttheory.com. Uh, choose your nutrition. There you go. Oh, okay. There you go. Or check, choose your content type, audio or video. Right. All right. right. All right, everybody. Thanks. We'll see you next time here on the new me show. Take care. Bye-bye.